contractor that's always late and never on budget, look no further than Buildlet Excavating and Grading. You want somebody who has maybe never done this work before, but is going to try real hard, but just when they have time. Call today for an estimate that we're going to charge you for. Podcasting. Turk Talk. Monday edition. Mm-hmm. On a Monday. We're here. We very rarely record on Mondays. We had a phase there where we did it a lot, mm-hmm. but I mean, obviously with the, the more that you travel, the more difficult it becomes to have anything that's like set in stone. Sure. We've done a pretty good job of like being flexible though. Like just like, oh, here's a, here's a date and time. Eric can be there. We just make it happen. Everything considered, I think we do pretty well. Yeah. 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 This week travel is going to be fun because I get to go to Mississippi. I go to Red Hills Mine mm-hmm. to check out our friends at North American Coal. Uh, Red is that Hills. tomorrow? So we're leaving today. We have our leadership meeting all day tomorrow. And then our whole leadership group is going out to the Red Hills Mine. So the leadership meeting is in Mississippi? It's in Starkville, yeah. Um, so we, where are you we, doing the meeting? Um, at a meeting place. Oh, okay. Not like... I don't know. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Or, you know, it has that, like in my hotel room. I don't, I don't care where we do it. Yeah, sure. In the lobby. Uh, you have to keep your eyes out for some burn dirt equipment out there. In Starkville. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll have to give him a shout and see if he's around. I'm sure he's doing something out there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'll, I would have thought. Nick Parrish, Bird's Dirt. No, I, I, yeah. I, I wish I would have thought that through a little sooner. Yeah. He's in Starkville. He's Go. in Columbus, but they Columbus. do a lot of work in Starkville. Gotcha. Go Bullfrogs. <laughs> Go Bullfrogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's it for sure. Drives people nuts. <laughs> I think. School, I don't know if school's out or not. It'd be pretty close if it's It'd not. be pretty close. So it's either, it's just probably a wild time in Starkville this time of year. Are you going to take the trace out there? It's, got, it's a long, it's a slow drive, but. No. Pretty drive. You've done it before. Uh, I have, yeah. I've, I have calls to make and you can't do that while on the Not Just Trace. They don't like it for a number of reasons. One, because it's very windy. <laughs> it's, you have to like beat. You have to like actively pay attention when you drive on that yeah. road a little bit more. Well, and there's just no cell service. Like oh, the last time too. I drove it, there was nothing. There was no cell service. You're out. That's there. a good point too. Yeah. And you can only go 55 miles an hour. Yeah. And, and they will like, give you a ticket at like 60. 45. They will give you a ticket. Yeah. 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 But it was, that was one of the nicest drives I have ever, ever done. Yeah. I mean, like obviously there are more picturesque drives out west, you know, into the mountains and things like that. But, it is just like forested beauty the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. And it's all mowed and mm-hmm. manicured like the whole way. And there's nobody, there wasn't anybody on it when we were there. Mm-hmm. I've, ne- I've never like had to slow down. No, I was, I was all nervous because it's, it's one lane in both directions. And I was thinking, oh, we're going to get stuck by spine people the whole time. And we're going to be going slow the whole time. But no, you just cruise and there's no trucks or anything to worry about. And I don't know what it is, but I would like to see a chart of truck traffic over the past 10 years because it is sharply increased, sharply increased. Mm-hmm. I feel like trucks are everywhere, especially on this side of the country. Like out west, I feel like there's just a little bit more room. Sure. But dude, and driving anywhere in the middle part of the country, it's just trucks everywhere. Are there typically more lanes in the eastern half of the united states like on major highways i don't know i i don't feel like there is i feel like i'm stuck behind trucks everywhere i go like i just drove to indy last week 
You're just behind trucks the whole time. Yeah. The whole time. <laughs> Crazy. Do you think that's has anything to do with like the boom and uh, e-commerce? Absolutely. E-commerce? Well, yeah. There's, I mean, every time I go out to an earth moving site nowadays, it's another warehouse for somebody. Mm-hmm. I don't know who. Uh, Somebody's DC. Dude, I don't know how they're building so many warehouses, but they are building so many warehouses and it's exciting. Wow. Economy's growing, but it's also super concerning because you're like, how, how is this sustainable? Mm-hmm. And the money they're putting into these things and the schedule, even like in Amazon, they're just like, we don't care. We don't care what it costs. We just want it done. So just get it done. Oh, okay, great. Stabilize the whole site, even though we don't really need to, but it's going to be able to, but we'll be able to pour faster by, you know, four weeks faster. Great. Do it. We don't care. It's just, <laughs> and just the the foundation work alone. I mean, all the micro piles and, and soil cement and it's, it's, they're just building on sites that are complete shit that mm-hmm. are not economical, but that's all they can get, and they want it done fast. Well, and those buildings are like an unbelievable amount of square feet. Like unbelievable. It, you can't even really wrap your brain around it. Yeah, and then more giant boxes means more rectangles driving along the road. Mm-hmm. Trucks. Yeah. Woof. Uh-huh. Put, anyway. it by, put it by rail, man. Use rail. Get it all on the rail. Uh, where do you stand on an increased rail system in America? People don't understand. Most everything they've touched has been on rail. That's still how everything gets around in the United States. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks railroads are not a thing. Like, oh, wow, yeah, that was like 200 years ago. And they, they're just more uh, commercial and a lot less, you know, passenger. Yeah, it's all commercial. Yeah. But Union Pacific, or at least I don't know what they, what they do today, but they were as profitable on a percentage basis uh, as as Apple was. It's it's a monopoly. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. You're not competing with anybody. They say they compete. They don't compete. Nobody compete it's with. straight up monopoly. And you can't just go set up a railroad. I mean, like, I want to yeah. go, go make a startup railroad. Like, <laughs> <laughs> How do you bootstrap? Yeah. Bootstrap a railroad. I bootstrap my railroad. It only is about 100 feet right now, but it's, yeah. it's going to be cool. Um, so I'm a huge, huge fan of, of commercial and freight moving by rail. And I think the government should mandate more should move by rail because then it's out of the way and it's way safer. Yeah. Way safer for the public than a bunch of trucks driving around. Sorry. That's just true. Uh, which is what they're doing in Europe. Well, it's essentially a train is a bunch of trucks driven only by one person at the very front. Yeah. Away from the general public. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And then commuter rail could be very effective. But legally speaking, I don't think our country's set up for it. So I- Legally speaking. Just from a land rights perspective and environmental review standpoint and all of that bullshit red tape, I don't think, I think the ship has sailed on commuter rail. Unless the federal government comes in and gets really serious about it and creates something like the interstate system. Mm -hmm. But other than that, other than the federal government coming in and saying, we are imminent domaining the hell out of this thing and we are going full bore and here's a trillion dollars dedicated to it, not going to happen. There's zero chance. And, And just looking at how much of a farce the California high-speed rail setup is. It's the, the stupidest project in America. It's like a thing that can't really be a novelty. Like It has to be deployed as like a major uh, like utility. No, and it's such, a, it's such an unbelievable waste of tax dollar, yeah. taxpayer money. I mean, they've spent over $100 billion on something that still doesn't work and is entirely unproven. And... Meanwhile, you know, 
air travel between San Diego and San Francisco, not very much money yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and faster. Mm-hmm. It's like, why? So I, I wish, um, I wish commuter rail was more of a thing, but, um, I just don't, I don't see a feasible way to do it in the United States. I know people push for, um, like light rail in Nashville pretty often. And like every couple of years that'll come up as like a thing. And it really ends up getting killed every time because people are like, well, we don't, we don't want certain folks who are downtown to be able to get out to the suburbs and vice versa, which like, I mean, is always going to be an issue, I guess. But I think there are cities who, American cities who have like a version of that, who, you know, it is a success. I know some people are like against MARTA, like don't believe MARTA is a good version of that, Mm -hmm. but there obviously are cities who really rely on that. Yeah. But this has never really clicked in Nashville. No, Nashville's too... Um, We're also not set up to have this many people. No, <laughs> like, it's infrastructurally, it's an issue. It's really sprawling, though. Mm-hmm. And Nashville is is not just this one giant urban area. It's Mount Juliet and Franklin and Brentwood and you know Bell Mead, and it, there's just a bunch of different areas, all kind of on their own, mm-hmm. in different uh, arranged around Nashville in a different way. Yeah, but it's not just one giant city. And then there's a bunch of hills everywhere. And it's it's just, a very hilly town. It's not just it's just not set up for any kind of mm-hmm. public transit, which is a bummer. I'm a huge fan of transit that works. It yeah. just doesn't work in the United States. But I've been on like the systems in Asia that are remarkable. Yeah. I went I flew and then I went I took the train back and I was like, "Wow, train 10 out of 10 times. <laughs> why would I ever fly here? Mm-hmm. I why would I ever fly if I can go this fast?" And it's this easy to get between cities. This is a no-brainer. You get off the train. Oh, it is done. The whole thing's done. The whole thing's done. It's so much more comfortable. Yeah, it is the way to go. And then just in in Europe, you take a train everywhere. You're like, yeah, that's what everybody does. It makes perfect sense, man. But it's just because they've invested in it. It costs money. Mm -hmm. And we're not serious about it. Like a light rail system, there's no way to recoup that. Basically, like in Phoenix, they spent billions and billions and billions of dollars on the light rail setup. The tickets that they, the, the revenue they collect from the light rail funds the, almost funds the operation of it annually, but the billions of dollars that you had to put into it in capital spending to build it out, that goes away forever. Yeah, and that's, we're just that's not just that, a loss. We're, we're just not that serious about spending on infrastructure. When talking about utilities in that way, like if you set up public transit, like that is essentially like a utility to the people who live there. Mm-hmm. Do you think those things should turn a profit? Depends. I mean. For example. Like the airlines. Well, yeah. I, I was going to say like the USPS, for instance. Mm-hmm. It's certainly been um, brought up a, a good number of times where, you know, they've lost like a certain, you know, a pretty significant amount of money the last bunch of years. Obviously, yeah. a lot of that's tied to um, laws for- from Pretty significant is really being generous. Well, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to keep it, keep it. Uh, I don't want to say apolitical, but like there's political pieces in motion here too. But my my question is like, if it's like a public utility, we don't talk about where we talk about the USPS is in it loses this amount of money, not it costs this much to do. In the same way, and this I, I promise this is not a political thought. This is more a the difference just for the conversation. Um, we don't talk about uh, like 
the military, we don't say the military loses this much money per year. It just costs this much money per year to do. Mm -hmm. And so do you, do you believe that like other things like the USPS, like um, maybe like rail systems that are meant to just like serve the community um, is to you, like, is there a difference for, you know, how it, it should be kind of thought of from like a financial perspective in that way? I all like, the railroads, is it just like tax pay for it or all the railroads are private companies and they operate them very effectively. Now they have been consistently rated the worst companies to work for in the United States, which <laughs> is, is, is has to be related. <laughs> talk about a workforce <laughs> problem because woof um, and talk about a societal problem because if the railroads stop, society stops. Yeah. Um, but they're very, very effective companies and look at, I, I would, I would be fine with the USPS still doing their thing if there wasn't FedEx and UPS whooping their ass yeah. every single day of the week <laughs> and proving they can be way more effective and efficient than the USPS. Mm-hmm. Uh, USPS is, it's only political, I feel like because of the, the pension and because of the workforce that's been promised this retirement that doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're they're being told it does. No, no, no. It still exists. Like me being told Social Security is still going to exist when I'm old. Like it's like I'm not going to buy into you, that. <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? There's no way I'm going to believe that. Like you're 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 joking. I'm not going to see any of this money. Um, yeah, you get that number at the beginning of your life, but you don't get to cash it in at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a. I think it's a joke. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I'm all for private companies. I'm all for capitalism. Capitalism, man. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's not like the, like, I don't think the police, there there are some public utilities out there that should remain public utilities. Like, I think the police department, that should probably remain a public utility. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, when I call 911, I would like someone to get there. I wouldn't <laughs> like someone to be like, well, that'll be 1999 to make sure we respond. Well, yeah, if, if I need to call the cops, I don't want to be like, well, I need to uh, price out a couple options first mm-hmm. and then. Well, this one's more expensive, but you know they're going to come sooner. You know, you don't want to have to go through that. You just want to be like, this is who comes. Yes. I will say from a very small perspective, um, the last couple of years I've lived somewhere where there's only a couple uh, like actual utilities that are city utilities that work out there. Most of like trash Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think water are both like have to be used, come through a contractor. And that's a huge pain in the butt. I just want to say, I prefer just to be like, I want to city trash. Just like, I know that they're going to come. Yeah. I know they're going to take the stuff. And we've had like multiple private, like trash things where it's, well, you got to bag it up. Um, And if you don't, if there's anything in it that's not bagged, we're just not going to take any of it. Sure. And just like stuff like that, which is like, great. That I guess you can make that decision because you're a private company, but also like, this is kind of a pain in my butt that I don't really feel like dealing with. Um, Yeah. Which that's different than the police department. It's a, it's a, it's not a simple, Mm-mm. not a simple conversation and not something, I think people make it so black and white. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't think you make it so black and white. I think that's probably like a large part of a larger conversation of what is like the ideal split between like what public services should be, um, you know, private versus like what should be, you know, part of like the public offering i just it, it frustrates me that infrastructure is is political mm-hmm. like how the fuck how the fuck is is spending on infrastructure political who who would be against that <laughs> i mean why, if you ask a like, real question you're right why, why why are you and then 
And then I, I, I don't like the people for it making it into something it's not at the mm-hmm. same time and taking all that money and calling it infrastructure, but not actually spending it on infrastructure. It drives me nuts. It's like we need to get serious about spending on infrastructure in this country or else we're not going to be a leader in the world. That's where it starts. Yeah. Leading starts with infrastructure. We're riding the coattails right now of what previous generations have done. Mm-hmm. We're not investing nearly what we should be at all. It's just not even close, not even close. And then when we do invest, everything gets bogged down by regulatory bullshit and lawsuits and environmental reviews and, and land disputes and, and projects take 10, 20 years. There's a reason why the subway system they're building in LA is the most expensive subway system by mile in the world by a long shot because there's all this bullshit you have to deal with to build anything in the state of California mm-hmm. that doesn't add any value to the public public sector, the, the, the public square, the people actually using it. There's no value added. It doesn't need to be that expensive. And yet it's made into this political circus when there's, there's no reason for that. There's no reason for that at all. It, it, it's so, it's upsetting and it's going to take infrastructure failing for people to understand how important it is. Would you say, and maybe history says this, but would you say that America's like infrastructure is just like at the end of a certain like time life cycle and it's just kind of all hitting at once? Because like, you know, going back to like the forties, the like obviously that was a time of like intense forties and fifties, intense investment in infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Are we seeing the uh, negative aspects of a time when it was really invested in and that investment has not continued i just think the uh, the investment like was that just did they have a timer on it and that timer has gone off now well, well i don't think the investment has kept pace with the release replacement cycle mm-hmm. and just growth just growth in general in mm-hmm. addition to replacement yeah okay that makes sense to me yeah and i think there's going to be we're going to need more of what happened in texas to actually understand mm-hmm. okay yeah maybe we like should we are spend not set up for our this. power grid like, yeah, no, yeah. no shit. I think, yeah, investing your power grid is probably a good thing. <laughs> and then, and then even that becomes this whole political thing. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, oh, if you did, if you had renewables, that wouldn't have, like, what are you talking about? Or like, oh, the, 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 the wind turbines are frozen. So they're not making power. Like it, it goes on both sides. Like, <laughs> how are you arguing over, we should have a sustainable power grid. And there was a failure here that we need to remediate and, and, and make, and make stronger. Like, <laughs> well, how, yeah. The, how the do respo- you argue over that? <laughs> the response can't be, "Well, like that's not going to happen again." <laughs> you know, like that's not the way we do this. That's clearly not the way you like prepare in the future for this. So, I think you you put a, a good word there. Like, obviously, to avoid like something like that happening in Texas again, like the sustainable like approach in that instance is like the right way to go. And like like you're saying, you kind of brought up like both sides, which again, like. The fact that these sorts of things get political is like so weird. Mm-hmm. When you take it out of context or take it in context, I don't know it's very strange. And so, I what I think is fa- fascinating about like the work we we get to do is you know the companies we work with are they're just building like that baseline infrastructure in America. And so, like we don't we don't have to get bogged down in like the conversations we're having and like you know we're not having having to have political conversations with these companies. Yeah. We're just like, you guys are doing like solid work out here. And how do we like play a part in that? 
and help you do that work better. Because it's in everybody's best interest. Yeah. Even like how oil and gas right now, is people mm-hmm. people really misunderstood misunderstand how oil and gas works, and it's just like it's just a blame game. And and people people, I get it. We need to reduce. We need to produce more. And what we've done with fracking is incredible. I think everybody should be for fracking. And if you're not, you are misguided. And your life is way better off today than it was before. Guaranteed. I promise you. Everybody has won based on that. Mm-hmm. Has it been done poorly? Absolutely. In some in some cases. But big picture, it's an unbelievable technology that has changed the course of a lot of our 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 economic uh status in the world or global or or, or security status without being so dependent on Mm -hmm. foreign fossil fuel and also decarbonization that's why our carbon footprint has fallen so much because of gas just saying Mm -hmm. but it's you know oh uh it's all this this person's fault and we just need to let the oil companies do whatever the hell they want and and we're not sitting here saying well who benefits from this high gas? It's the oil companies. So are they really incentivized to reduce the price of fuel as much, especially as they just got their asses handed to them for years and years and years and hemorrhaged money? No, no, no. They're very happy right now. And they want it to stay like it is right now because they need to recoup all the investment money, the the tens and hundreds of billions of dollars they lost over the past few years. <laughs> Yeah. So it's not like just one group is to blame here. You also look at the industry itself. It's like, yeah, this is great. I'm all for the fossil fuel, you know, oil and gas industry because we need it. It's part of it's part of the success of our our country. But also, they're also kind of to blame here and to sit there and say, no, they're just out to help everybody is complete nonsense. Like just look at Exxon's earnings. They had their worst quarter ever. I think a year ago they mm-hmm. lost over twenty billion dollars. Yeah, they don't want to do that again. I don't know if it was a quarter or a year, but it was their biggest loss ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and now it swings the whole other direction. They're they're like hell yeah, this is awesome. Is and if this is a hot topic, please push me off of it. Is oil and gas an industry that has like kind of price setting collusion that we just sort of like eh, don't really focus on? Because like well, a lot of they, gas I mean, companies sell gas for like the same. All the gas stations in an area are kind of all the same prices. It's it's a global market, but you look at um, groups like OPEC. OPEC certainly influences. Mm-hmm. It's a super complicated topic, but it's influenced and can be influenced by by groups sure. inside the United States and more importantly outside the United States. Yeah, true. Like OPEC. Fun. I get into oil and gas because it's infrastructure. It's part of infrastructure. Yeah, for sure. And the dirt world's heavily involved in oil and gas. And heavily relies. And heavily relies. Yeah. I mean, if you're in the dirt world right now, like, how are diesel prices? How's that? Yeah, how's you're, that you're not, you're your not business? pumped for that. You're getting clobbered. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to a, so you're building a, a, a something for a DOT. You're going to go back to the DOT and ask for an escalation because diesel prices went up. They're going to be like, um, how about no? <laughs> <laughs> No one's really getting any kind of bones thrown to them. Mm-hmm. They've just been caught in the crossfire. And some of these projects are bid pretty damn tight. So if you're losing your ass on diesel fuel, that's enough to 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 have a loss across the entire job. Anyway. Anyway. We're just rambling. Fun around. stuff. We've got a couple of uh, questions for the Dirt Talk podcast. Super. Let's do it. Kind of long-winded today. Huh? Man, we're just getting into it. It's a Monday, you know. 
All right, first question is from Ashton. Do you think more schools should have operator training classes and construction management classes to get the next generation into the dirt world? Uh, yes. I, I just, my, my problem with this whole topic is there's this talking point that's super popular. And for right, for right, for the right reasons. It's, you know, we need more kids going to trade schools. Like if you agree. And it gives a bunch of likes and, oh, yeah, and I, then, I believe this. And then what comes out of that is, cool. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't do anything. No. And you just sit around and you're like, okay, so how are you going to make that happen? How, like, you're, you're going up against the higher education industry. Yeah. Higher education industry is a formidable, formidable foe. They get a fat slice of that pie. Dude, like, they, they were, are there the was, pie. I forget what it was, but there was this talk about, free community college or heavily subsidized community college, mm -hmm. it was squashed in the reconciliation, I think it was. It was squashed. Who do you think squashed that one? Other oh, college. The higher education industry. Yep. That's interesting. They don't want people going to community college for free. They want them coming to their universities because mm -hmm. that means more money. And so I don't think... I, was, I had a conversation about this the other day, and I said the system is designed to feed people into higher education nowadays. Yep, we've talked about that before. Yeah. And it was taken, it was taken as, you know, educators suck, and it, it wasn't meant like that. I think educators are, are great people, mm -hmm. oftentimes, yeah. on average. Um, I have, you know, every teacher I've had is certainly not a good teacher and every professor I've had is certainly not good, but they're, they're good people on average on, on and they have good intentions. Well, of, yeah, you've also had an incredible educators. So yeah. Yeah. Too. Yeah. They, they, they have good intentions. They want to leave the generation better off than, than they were. And they want to go educate, mm -hmm. uh, and, and they want to empower the next generation. Um, but they're still working in a system that's designed to do one thing, send people to higher education. And that, why, why is that? Because there's financial, there's a huge financial incentive to do so across the entire system. I just don't see us getting trade programs back into schools because that's working completely against the existing system. Mm -hmm. Unless, again, something like the federal government gets involved or even the state gets involved at some point. You would need some government intervention, but even the federal government can't even get community college paid for. So, so you think they're going to get trade schools, you know, enacted across the United States? So, mm -hmm. so, but, but, but that doesn't mean that we can just be like, well, okay, so it's not possible. So we're screwed because that's not an option. We can't just be screwed. We have to take it upon ourselves to go create those pathways into the industry and to figure out how we can operate our businesses so that they're more profitable so we can take that profit and invest in people and training and pathways into the industry. Mm -hmm. Now, our business has a viable way of moving in that direction. We're moving in that direction today, and there's going to be a lot of progress made in that, in that specific direction over the next few years. Uh, but we're only a very, very small part. I think it's every... I'm a construction company right now. I'm thinking, how can I create a pathway into my company from nothing. Like I just read about um, Publix and Wegmans. They're, they've been on the best company to work for list for 25 years or whatever it is. Yeah. Almost everybody there who's in management started at the very bottom of the company. That's why they're one of the best companies to work for. 
And a lot of their people have worked there for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. That's because they have a defined pathway. You start here and then we train you and bring you through the organization. And then from there, you can go anywhere within the organization you want to go. Mm-hmm. Now, they have hundreds of thousands of people that work there. And it's a little easier to do when you have a hundred, you know, hundreds of thousands. Well, easier and harder than if you're just a 10-person construction company. Um, but if I owned a construction company and I'm doing this with my exact same, my, my business, I don't think if you, if you run lead, if you're in any kind of management within the business, within a business, I'd be thinking about how do I create an entry point into my business? And it might cost me a little bit of money to make that happen. But big picture, that's what I'm going to have to do. I don't want to rely, rely on trade schools or anybody else to give me the people I need. I'm going to go create that on my own. That's a fascinating way to think about it. I don't know that I've heard you say it that way of, you know, companies like taking that really, really specific approach to like to just their own business. Like, obviously we talk a lot about the dirt world and, you know, here's how companies in the dirt world, you know, can look to, to the future and how they can build up their potential workforce in the future. But that's all like well and good if you are struggling now. Though. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, that language of how do I make more pathways to just come into like my company for people to like grow in my company. Do you think that idea and that approach is more difficult for like companies to deal with versus, um, you know, just we need to have more trade school opportunities. Like, I mean, obviously they have to take more ownership, but is it just there's a, a lot of pressure on bringing in people who don't know anything? I just think they've never had to do it before, so they don't know where to start. Don't know where to start. Yeah. Their intentions are pure. Everybody's intentions are pure. Yeah. Everybody wants to solve the workforce problem. I agree. I think we should have more trade schools and technical colleges, so on and so forth. I just don't see that as happening anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So, and and maybe it does happen. That's awesome. But I'm going to look at it from... Okay, as a business, I can't afford to just sit around and wait and hope that happens. Yeah. So I'm going to go start building that pathway into my business that I need to be successful long term. And if the trade school thing also works out, I'm going to go help support that. But right now, I'm going to focus on how do I build the pathway into my business. And so that could start with, okay, great. I need to start talking about things on social media so people know I exist. And then I need to start talking about, hey, we'll hire you if you have no experience but a great attitude. And then I need to figure out a way for, the, for people to apply that might not have experience. And then I need to sit them down and say, hey, all right, so over the next year, you're going to be a laborer. Here's what you're going to be doing. Here's what you're going to be learning. But where do you want to go? Oh, okay. So you want to be an operator? That's great. So here's the expectations. We're going to need you to work your ass off over the next year. But I promise you, we will get you opportunities to learn that machine and become an operator. And then maybe one Saturday a month, you set up the excavator on, on your, in your yard and allow them to start practicing. And then maybe one Monday a month after they start to get good, you put them into the seat on the job and just start proving that, yeah, I, I intend to keep my word. I intend to continue to develop you. And then they get to operator. Maybe they just want to become the world's best operator. Cool. Maybe, hey, now I want to become foreman. Okay, great. Let's start working on that for you. Every company says, I would rather train someone up on how we do it 
than to go hire someone experienced. Yeah. And yet they don't, they say that, but it's not, they don't actually do that. Well, there's probably like a really small, uh, like cross section there where it's, we want to hire somebody who has a little bit of experience, but doesn't have enough to where it's hard to like help them unlearn bad habits so they can learn it the way we do it. Yeah. But then they, they still want those people to have experience. Like I'm sure that is a very small demographic of folks in the industry. That's it. And again, it's, it's not anybody's fault. It's just, if you're a business and you need people to succeed long-term, that's your problem to figure out. Mm -hmm. So, and unions are a little different, but even if I'm a union contractor, there's a lot of things I can do to help feed great people into the union and develop them through the union within my business. So it's the same principle, yeah. non-union union, same thing. Cause unions need people just as badly as anybody else. It's the whole industry. Everybody's in this together. That's why I don't like the, oh, union, non-union mentality. It doesn't matter who you are, what team you're on. We're all in the same damn, we're all in this together. We all move dirt. We all build stuff. Yeah. If you build stuff, you're on the same team as everybody else that builds stuff. Let me tell you. And if you, if you start thinking like that, we're going to be able to create some pretty significant change. Mm -hmm. And then as a company owner or someone within a company, I think people just have to understand, okay, great. We got away with not having to do this. That's fine. But going forward, here's our new reality. And just understand humans are wired to go pursue the path of least resistance. So we need to create pathways into the industry without very much resistance. And okay, I get it. Maybe you had to go through all these hoops to get your job and prove yourself and this and that back in the day. So these kids need to go prove themselves too. I'm sorry. The world's changed, man. The world's changed. You grew up without the internet. <laughs> it's, it's 2022. The world is in a different place. So we can keep saying, oh, you know, kids just need to work harder. They, they just need to come knock on my door. You can keep saying that and, and it's going to keep, you know, you're going to keep getting the same results. Or you can say, this is my responsibility to develop the workforce I need. So I'm going to learn how the workforce thinks works today. That doesn't mean I need to go soft. But that means I do need to communicate a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. That does mean I do need to create more defined pathways into my business than I had growing up. That does mean I need to, I need to build out career paths for these kids so they can see, yeah, they're progressing. They're growing. I do need to do, you know, maybe, okay, great. These kids want to be an operator in eight weeks. That's an unrealistic expectation. Have you talk to them about why it's going to take more time? Have you explained why it's in their best interest to take more time on the ground? Have you set that expectation? Have you talked about, we're, we're honestly, we're not going to be able to do that in eight weeks. I know you want to be an operator. It's not going to happen quick. It's going to happen in nine months, most likely. That's our path. And here's all the other guys that have gone through our program. So they can validate that we are, we say, we're going to get you there. We're going to get you there. And also, here's why it takes that long. Yeah. And here's why it takes that long. Here's what you're going to have to do to get there. If you tell a kid that, you set those expectations, you'd be very clear about what they have to do and why. I'm certain you're not going to have the same problem. Well said. You know, we, we live in a world where we like all want to have our expectations met, obviously. But as like a business owner, if you're going into that conversation and into that approach of here's how we bring 
new people into our, our company, here's how we kind of make as many pathways into the company as possible. If you're going into that with a managing expectations mindset where it's like, we want to bring these people in. Here's what it takes for people who have no experience to come in and, and both do something today and get to where they want to be in a year. If, if you say like, yeah, well, if you just keep trying hard, I bet, it, I'm sh- I bet it'll work out someday. Like that's also not really attractive to me mm-hmm. if I were a job seeker. But if someone said, you know, here's what it takes to get there and here's my uh, like commitment to you and I have an expectation for you as well. To me, like that's both normal, natural and attractive because it's like, all right, I have to give something in order to get something. And that's that's outside of what it costs to pay somebody to do the work, you know, and I, I think we've talked a lot about how like the money is now just like a part of the conversation more than ever. You know, like if, if I can make the same money at both places or if maybe I have two, two options and one is more money, but like the whole job situ- situation is, is shittier than the other option. I'm not going to just take the job because it's more money. Mm-mm. Like I, I want the whole thing to make sense for my life. And so when I'm going into a situation where I have a challenge in front of me, but the expectations are set, both my expectations and my uh, like potential employer's expectations, that's far more attractive to me than if. You know, it's just, well, the money's great here. So, well, and money, it only is hierarchy of needs. Yeah. So, you do at a certain point, you just need money to pay your mortgage, to feed your kids, to give, to operate your life. Well, that's why they say like there, there is a uh, number where money doesn't buy happiness anymore. It's like, yeah, if you're under a certain income level, like that's why it's going to feel like money does buy happiness. Well, it, but yeah. once you get over that, then it's just hierarchy of needs. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's all it is. All that is is hierarchy of needs. So you get past the okay. I I have what I need to survive and have the life I I, I need and want. Okay, great. You go to that next level of okay. So do I like what I do? And most companies, construction companies, are past. They pay past that. There's very few construction companies operating a minimum wage. Most yeah. of them pay a shitload of money. So that's that's the problem is they all think they're still just competing at that bottom level of they think it's just a money game, financial play. But no, 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 you're actually all these people are are past that level and they're on to that. So why should I come to work for you uh, level? And if you're not giving them a compelling answer, they're going to leave. Which is what's happening. Look at uh, a great company that does this is C.W. Matthews. They kill it. They have a full time high school recruiter. Wow. And they do signing days. Mm-hmm. They make they make these kids feel special day one. This guy uh, is full time high school recruiter is 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 dedicated to mentoring these kids to making sure they have what they need not just day one but day three hundred sixty five. And they've created pathways into their business, and as a result, they don't really have a workforce problem, even when they're well past a thousand people at the company. You can do it on scale. You just have to invest in it. And, oh, they only do public work. Wow. They only do highway work. Yeah, that's amazing. So it's not like they're just working for one residential builder and doing all the same subdivisions over and over and over. They have this great relationship in a private setting. Not saying that's the way to profitability and success, but you could refute, oh, well, well, they do you know, work for one or two builders that they've had a relationship with for 20 years with. Of course, yeah. they're doing well and they have that money to invest. No, they do DOT work in the state of Georgia. 
That's pretty incredible. So yeah, if you want to see a company that that does a good job, check out CW Matthews. Not that we set it up this way, but uh, Dan Garcia from CW Matthews is going to be on Dirt Talk in a couple of weeks. I'm so excited it's gonna for be that good. conversation. I'm so stoked. I've had so many folks like who have gone out and worked with them just be like, you got to have this guy on the podcast. I'm really like, really I love, excited. I love that. Yeah. And then once we like get it booked and like that person's excited, I'm like, hell yeah, let's do this. Thing. It's gonna be great. I would just um, also just proactively start finding all the people that we're working with at all the companies. Yeah, that's already in motion. So every, yeah, every company we're working with, we should be inviting people. Mm -hmm. We need to get Jimmy um, in town. From Jones, he'd be a great one to talk to. Just shoot the shit about equipment. Um, cool. Jones Bros. Jones Bros. Cool. Cool. Is that a podcast? That is. We have another question, but we've been going pretty good. Um, and I think good. the other question would also lead to some like really, uh, in depth conversation. So I think we're safe where we are. We did a pretty good. One. I didn't feel super well spoken today, but hopefully, I feel like we had a lot of made sense. good things though. Yeah, I hope so. We've, I, I will say, you and I have had far less, um, not, or you and I have had far more non sequitur conversations than we did today, both the internal podcast and this one. Mm -hmm. Sure. I think we're in good shape. Okay, great. Well, if you have feedback or questions, send it to dirttalkabilla.com. Appreciate you listening. Please share the podcast. Um, someone the other day wrote me. Hey, my dad loves your podcast now. I showed it to him while we were working on the truck or something like that. And now, you know, and now I, I just walked in and he's he's listening to the podcast on his own. Stuff like that, it's a huge help. That's how we're going to grow this thing is you sharing it. So if you enjoy the podcast, you listen frequently, please share it with people because we would love to have more people on board with us listening to two idiots talk about dirt. That's what we want. So with that, we'll see you on the next one. Stay dirty, everybody.